Coming up on the Fanatic Podcast with Mac and Sid, we're going to be talking about football. We'll give you a quick rundown of the games that just happened this past weekend. Breaking news that just came in. It's two a time in Miami. New England loses a stunner. Adam Gase still has a job. And Sid's going to break down the top five fantasy surprises in this, in the season so far. This podcast can be found at fanaticpodcast.com. Check out the site. You can find all of our episodes there. My name is Mac, and with me as always, my co-host, Sid. Sid, how are you doing today? Not too bad, Mac. You know, living the dream here. We're, we're, getting, uh, we're getting some awesome news coming out of the wire today, and uh, lots of interesting things really starting to cook up, uh, and lots to talk about for sure. I'm excited to, uh, to get going. Yeah, no kidding. Lots of exciting news today. Uh, why don't we kick things off with a quick rundown of uh, some of the games that uh, happened this weekend? Absolutely, absolutely. I don't know if there's anywhere in particular you want to start off with, uh, but we definitely had some some good some some good ones going on, and some ones that that you know you'd probably some teams want to forget about uh, out there. Well, how about we just talk it off with how uh, Tom Brady and the and the Bucks. Uh, took it to, to to Aaron Rodgers and the Packers there. I don't think anybody is uh, more surprised than Aaron Rodgers, but I'm. <laughs> I did not expect the game to go that way. I mean, so Tampa Bay wins thirty-eight to ten. Um, Aaron Rodgers, perfect all season uh, MVP talk. Uh, throws two picks in this game, a pick six. Couldn't score through three quarters. They got 10 points in the first quarter and then goose eggs in the second, third, and fourth. So, I mean, obviously this is one that Aaron wants to forget, but what in the world happened here? Well, I think it was uh, probably a bit of complacency that happened there, Mac. I think you saw a team that felt a little bit of overconfidence happen. And, uh, it, you know... Brady's the type of guy that's going to take advantage, and I mean, he, I mean, obviously, smartest quarterback that you, you find out there. I mean, well experienced, finds his receivers, knows how to how to really pick apart where the weaknesses are. And I mean, Green Bay is a is a, a talented team, nonetheless. But I guess we just they just got them sleeping a little bit and uh, really showed on the scoreboard for sure. After that first quarter, you know, you get the opportunity to work out the rust, and uh, and yeah. Tampa Bay and the and the really capitalized on uh, on everything there. Yeah, no kidding. And it seems that uh, Brady and Gronkowski are finally on the same page. Gronk gets his first touched on the year. He had a pretty good game: five receptions, seventy-eight yards. Um, to me, the big surprise, other than the lopsided score, uh, was the reemergence of Jones. Um, Twenty-three carries, one hundred and thirteen yards, two touchdowns. You know, when you get a performance like that from your running back, it definitely helps uh, the quarterback, obviously. But um, I think nobody expected this lopsided. I mean, both uh, both guys were one and one against each other when they've played uh, Packers against the Patriots. Um, so, you know, here you have uh, Tom Brady, who's really starting to excel. They see themselves at the top of their division at four and two. And now Green Bay slips they're four and one, and Chicago somehow is five one and zero. Oh, so that's uh, that's going to be quite the watch the remainder of the season to see if Chicago can keep ahead of Green Bay moving forward. Absolutely, I hundred percent agree with that. I mean, I think you're going to be while you at first thought with it, 
first three or four games that there was going to be some teams out there that were just going to kind of walk away with their divisions or kind of steamroll a, a little bit. I think you're 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 kind of seeing a little bit of, uh, and you, and you saw it in, in other games too this week how there were some games that were you you just knew that. Um, Things were not going to fall off the rails, so to speak, but at least you were going to see a little bit of a of a tail off happening, and uh, you know a little more of a of a of an evenly matched uh, bout where you know one team isn't going to be readily the favorite anymore. Yeah, no kidding. So let's talk about perhaps another surprise. So we had the four and one Cleveland Browns against the four and zero Pittsburgh Steelers. I think people were anticipating that this was finally going to be a meaningful match against division rivals. You know, Cleveland was starting to get it together. Pittsburgh's been red hot. And yet, 38-7, Pittsburgh just completely decimates Cleveland. I mean, what happened here? Well, again, I think you you saw... I mean, Pittsburgh got some good advantages early on. I mean... The offense was efficient. If uh, in saying anything else, I mean, you've got, uh, you know, you know, you've got a great running back. First of all, James Conner and Chase Claypool as well also had a had a great game as well. Um, but you're you find the pieces that work really well, and I mean, Big Ben runs a very efficient offense too. I mean, uh, his stats were not were not crazy for that game. Um, you know, he was 14 of 22 for 162 yards, one touchdown. And, you know, you, typically you're not putting up 38 points with uh, something like that happening right that, there. But uh, you definitely do see uh, the efficiency happening with the Steelers right now, being able to know what plays to call, when to call them. And I think, again, Browns uh, kind of weren't prepared for what they were expecting with the Steelers. Yeah, I have to agree. I think that the defensive scheme by Pittsburgh uh, was spot on. I mean, they they got a pick six early. Um, I mean, Ben only having to throw 22 times tells you that everything was working. Uh, ben Ben's a gunslinger. He loves throwing the ball. But, you know, James Conner got over 100 yards. Um, Chase Claypool, like you said, ran in for a touchdown. But, you, know, you know, you look at his receivers and, you know, Claypool had 74 yards, Washington had 68 yards. And a lot of that has to do with the defense really stepping up. And I have to say... Um, Baker Mayfield, he's he's not himself. I don't know if it's injury related. I mean, he's he's got rib issues. Um, they pulled him in the third quarter just to keep him safe. Apparently, uh, Case Keenum really didn't do much. He threw it ten times, completed half of it. So, you know, it's got me thinking that maybe Cleveland four and two isn't really a four and two team. Uh, they might not be the team that you know we thought they were when they were looking good i think uh you saw the frustrations with odell beckham on the sideline i mean he took his shoes off he was walking on with his socks yelling at people on the sideline um a lot of a lot of media folks seem to think that it's time to get beckham and landry out of cleveland so it just seems like a a hot mess and uh i guess we can go from one hot mess to another one new england lost to denver this was uh Supposed to be one of those guaranteed wins. The media, everybody picked New England. They haven't been under 500 uh, in October, I think, since ever. <laughs> so what happened here, Sid? Uh, I, I think that, again, you're, you're, you're looking at a team that's capitalizing, kind of being the underdog, right? A little bit. And 
basically knowing kind of what to do, kind of how to capitalize well. Like, I mean, you're, you've, you've really got a quarterback situation in Denver really right now where, I mean, you don't really have a lot of footage on Drew Locke, for one thing, first of all. And he's, he's a guy who is unpredictable. I mean, you can say that in, in a good way and in a bad way as well, but I don't think that the Patriots had the proper game plan for someone like him as well. I mean, his stats were definitely not pretty. I mean, he was under 50% passing. He threw two picks as well. But uh, when you get your your number one running back, Philip Lindsay, back as well, and he runs the ball for uh, over 100 yards on 23 carries, uh, you're definitely going to see uh, a big advantage in favor of uh, in favor of the the running team as well when you're looking at uh, going up against the Patriots. And again. Um, to be quite honest, I mean, with the with New England, I'm I'm, uh, you know, I, I'm a little bit unsold still on the Patriots. I, Cam Newton, um, you know, he's 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 hot and cold. I mean, he's not going to be a, a consistent guy, in, in my opinion, like Aaron Rodgers or, or Ben Roethlisberger. Like he's got he's got the ability, he's got the legs. I mean, he's always a run threat, but. You know, he's there's something about him that you'll look at and you'll see it, and and he's not as consistent as I'd like him to be. And sometimes when you get him off his game early, it's going to be enough to to uh, to rock him enough to to get him off his game, and uh, then the momentum can change really fast. I agree. Cam Newton is one of those uh, very emotional type quarterbacks that you can easily rattle him. Um, when he debuted with New England against Miami, I wasn't sold. Uh, he didn't target downfield at all. He was terrified of Miami's cornerbacks. Um, he just beat them on his legs. And again, you know, you see him this week back from, you know, he was off for a couple of weeks because of COVID. Um, so, you know, he threw two interceptions. Uh, he ran in a touchdown, but that's really it. If you can take away Cam Newton's running ability, you've basically solved New England and I think that's going to be a problem moving forward um, I'm not one of those people that's surprised they're two and three I'm more surprised they actually have two wins to be honest I don't think I don't think they even deserve those two wins so it'll be interesting to see what they what they do how they game plan moving forward um, as far as other games we got uh, the Giants beating Washington by a point Atlanta gets their first win of the season. So you have both Giants and Atlanta who were winless. Now both have wins, um, which leads us to the Jets, right? They, uh, the, put, Jets. They, the Jets. I mean, it's it's the race for the number one pick, it seems. they The rumor or the speculation is, you know, the Jets want Trevor Lawrence. And I mean, who wouldn't? So what did they, what did they do down in Miami? <laughs> How did the Jets do? How did the Jets do? Well, I mean, they put up a big goose egg, obviously. I mean, uh, you know, Joe, Joe Flacco, I mean, kind of one of those one-hit wonders. He had that one year, you know, behind a stellar defense, one of the best defenses I've ever seen for a season in, in, in Baltimore there when they won the Super Bowl. You know, got a huge contract out of it. But in all reality, I mean, Joe Flacco is 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 – Kind of, he's kind of one and done in my opinion right now, and in, and in, in the fact that he's had the opportunity to now uh, take some snaps in, in in New York. I mean, the reality is, I think they need to go younger. I think the Jets need to go younger. They need to kind of look, and I mean, obviously, 
if everything goes the way it's planned, they're gonna they're gonna get uh, they're gonna get Trevor Lawrence. So they're they're gonna get their guy. They're gonna have a, a young quarterback in their system for next year that is uh, is basically gonna take them on for the next you know five to ten years after that. And that's kind of one of the reasons why I think that uh, Adam Gase has hasn't been fired yet. Um, you know, when you think about who uh, the GM in in New York there. Um, and just overall, the overall management style, I mean, they've got to have the patience. They had to prepare themselves, I think, early on and uh, before the season even started and they knew kind of what direction they were going to be going in and, and what they were prepared to do and not do through the season. Um, but one of the reasons why I think that Adam Gase hasn't been fired yet is basically just due to the circumstances surrounding the team itself. Um, I mean, obviously being hit hard with uh, some key injuries, uh you know, harder than most teams around and, and, you know, a roster that's thin to begin with. So I think the expectations were kind of set that, uh, you know, the Jets were going to be a work in progress all year. And uh, I think they've kind of given him the benefit of the doubt of what he's basically been equipped to work with. And that's why I think he's, he's, he's been safe so far, whether or not he's going to last the whole season that remains to be seen. I guess it depends on how, how likely it is that these, these teams are, or that the Jets are going to get blown out, um, you know, on the regular on a regular basis, or if they're actually going to see some progression, even if they are continuing to lose. Well, and those are good points. I mean, the funny thing is, is you have the Jets CEO that, as recently as last month, called Gase an offensive genius. Okay, so he's an offensive genius. Yeah. So, oh yeah, Gase's. Gase's record as a head coach is 30 and 40. 31 of those 40 losses have come by double digits. He's 7 and 15 as the Jets head coach. Eight of those losses have been by double digits and five of them by 20 or more points. So it's completely lopsided. Now you have this problem that Greg Williams publicly calls out Gase. Gase then says everyone needs to shut up and play. So here you have Greg Williams, who's about as dirty as it gets when it comes to defensive coordinators. They're giving up 32.2 points a game, 394 yards per game. So neither the offense or defense is doing any good. So by all purposes, Gase and Williams both should be fired. And I think to your point, Sid, it's clearly they're tanking. It has to be it because... No GM, no CEO, uh, CEO, like nobody in the right mind keeps this group together when we've already seen guys fired this year. We saw a firing in Houston. We saw a firing in Atlanta. You know, there's no logical reason that Gase keeps his job, especially being embarrassed by Miami. And not to discredit Miami. Miami played an incredible game. Their defensive scheme was incredible. Um, they, they just played lights out. The offense has been clicking, but we can't ignore the fact the Jets are a very, very bad team. And then they get rid of their best player before the game, which makes no sense. You know, they, they, sh- they ship Bell off. Like, they released them, so they get nothing in return. They're still on the hook for, for paying him. So, I mean, this team is just, it's a giant mess. And, you know, the like you said, the only logical reason Gay still has a job has to be that they're on a full-on tank. And, I mean, the NFL should be investigating that because when it looked like Miami was tanking for Tua, 
everybody was losing their minds, you know, and then they rattled off four or five wins in a row and everybody's like, okay, I guess they're not tanking. The Jets, come on. If this isn't tanking, then I don't know what it is. Absolutely. No, I, I, I agree with you on that end. I mean, you know, it's not often a, a team gets a big goose egg in the, in the score column. Uh, so, you know, to say that they weren't out there to win, I mean, you could have, you could have several arguing points in regards to that, but I mean, still, I, I, I mean, I don't think, I think you agree as well. You don't want to discredit what the Dolphins did to win that game, to put that game out of, out of reach early. I mean, this was the second straight week where basically the game was over by halftime. Mm-hmm. And so that, that in itself is a, a big credit to the game plan that the Dolphins are putting together. Um, who's, I mean, they're being led by Fitzpatrick, the the guy who's, you know, who's had a terrific run and has a in the first six games of the year so far. I mean, I, I know this was something that I wasn't expecting out of this team so far, especially after a one and two start. Um, but really, I mean, spreading out the ball as much as he is, you know, completing passes to multiple different receivers. And I mean, really, you know, given the, giving the Jets a bit of a, a, a different look game plan wise, I mean, this is this is uh, it's, it's definitely one of the major contributors to why this team and the Dolphins have done so well, too. And then obviously, I mean, I, I know you're dying to talk about it here as well in regards to the uh, the Tua's first start ever in the NFL um, coming into the game with two minutes, just over two minutes left. And uh, give me give me your opinion on that there, Mac. Well, I mean, I'll temper my excitement for a second here, which is hard to do. <laughs> but to talk about uh, the Dolphins uh, offense and, and that again, um, one point I wanted to bring out is this is a team that saw about an 80 percent change in its roster. There was no expectations for Miami coming into this year at all. None. OK, you've got a team mostly made up of rookies and free agents. They completely rehauled this entire roster. So I view the first couple of games as their preseason, right? Everybody's trying to figure each other out, get these rookies some playing time because there was no preseason. There's no proper practicing. So they get their kinks out. Now, these Dolphins were in the game against New England and could have beat them. They were in the game against Seattle and could have beat them. And then their three wins are all blowout wins, huge wins, destroyed the Jags, destroyed the 49ers, destroyed the Jets. So this tells me that this team is is clicking, it's gelling, their schemes are, are starting to come together. And that Jets game was, I mean, top to bottom, they, they played fantastic. And now, you know, Tua gets to go in for the final uh, two two minutes and 30 seconds, I think it was, which, I mean, huge eruption from the real fans uh, in the stands. That's, that's the one thing I'm going to throw out there, too, yeah. The, it, the Dolphins have fans in their stands. There's not many. There's, you know, a little over 13,000. But, I mean, it's it's legit, real fans cheering. It's not pumped in through the, the speakers yeah. type thing. So, I mean, they biggest pop of the night. They're, they're up. They're, you know, they're... They're, uh, they're, they're pitching a shutout, and the biggest pop of the night, Tua comes on the field. Uh, he makes his you know first completion. Everybody goes crazy. And the thing about that first completion, that rollout in the end zone, it wasn't his first read. Um, if you've, you, know, you've, you follow along what's going on, that wasn't his first read. He yeah. led the defenders away with his eyes and threw a beautiful, crisp pass. And 
to be honest, it was everything every every Dolphins fan wanted to see. We just wanted a glimpse of Tua. And we got that. He looked fantastic. The hip looked great. His movement was great. He had command of the huddle. Um, it was just it was just great. And now today, I mean, he's the starter moving forward. I, I didn't expect that. I don't think anybody expected that. But he's the starter. You know, the yeah. Dolphins are, are on a bye week coming up. And uh, they're going to have basically two weeks to prepare Tua for uh, the Rams, which <laughs> that's going to be a tough task with Aaron Darnold coming down on, on Tua. Um, what are your first thoughts over hearing that news today? We, we None of us were prepared for that. It kind of came out of nowhere. Well, yeah, exactly. And just uh, just so you guys know, like, I mean, we're, we, we learned about an hour before um, coming on to do this that, uh, yeah, Tua uh, is given the full reins for um, their next game and uh, against the Rams in week eight. And so uh, coming at it is a bit of a surprise to everybody. But, uh, you know, the more you think, kind of think about it, you think, well, definitely could be the right time after the bye week, especially now that, you, like you said there, Mac, he's got two weeks essentially to plan and to give him all the reps and practices uh, to get him prepared for this. And uh, definitely makes... Definitely makes sense when you think about it from that end, and because um, we all knew, obviously, this is it, it, it's it's to his team. It's going to be to his team, and you know, there's no better sense than than getting him in now, especially when Dolphins essentially are on a, you know, on a on a good run right now, and uh, you've got the opportunity to kind of get him in. I mean, in all reality, I, I mean, the fact that the Dolphins have won these last two games quite handedly. I mean, I think it's going to bode well. I mean, I think the Dolphins can be prepared to obviously be, uh, have, have a much stiffer matchup against the Rams with Jared Goff and their, and their stifling defense. Um, but if this is the game, if this is the, the opportunity where you want to get him in, this is the right time in my honest opinion, because this is going to be kind of where you're going to, this is this is the test. Basically, he's he's tested. He's going to be tested uh, right away, and this is where you're going to kind of see. Okay, well, where's that where's that magic you saw in in, uh, in his college career, and how is that going to show off when it's coming to the, you know, to the real nitty gritty with the uh, with the true professionals and the and the uh, and the Los Angeles Rams coming. So this will definitely be the test. I think he'll I think he'll be prepared. He'll be ready. Uh, he's got an excellent mentor in in Fitzpatrick there to to guide him along the way from the sidelines, and let's be honest. I mean, I think the 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 offense that he's got around him um, is good. I mean, he's he's got the good he's got the weapons to, to to spread the ball to, and he's and I mean, take advantage of it. Let's uh, let's see another kind of game plan towards what we've seen here, and then I think this becomes a very competitive matchup. I mean. I think uh, we can all agree now. I think the the next two weeks here are going to be very interesting when, when watching the the, de- the development and then also like just leading up to the game here as well. I think it's going to make for a very exciting, uh, very exciting um, game in two weeks' time. Yeah, I think if I think if you were to write a book on how to to bring up a rookie quarterback, I think Flores has to be the author. I mean, you look at everybody's going crazy because Burrow is playing well and Herbert is playing well. Okay, but let's dissect that for a second. Burrow is only the starter because 
He's the number one pick. And they sent away Dalton. So there is nobody to compete with. So he had that team going like he he knew he had that team. He took all the reps and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Her, Herbert, he never earned that job. Right. This is not to take away. He's playing lights out. He's playing fantastic. But Herbert would not be starting right now if it wasn't for the other quarterback, Tyrod Taylor, getting hurt. Right. So Herbert doesn't have a win to his name yet. You know, so Burrow's got a got a win and a draw. Both teams losing records. Here you have Tua, number five overall pick. Perfect mentor, as you brought out in Fitzpatrick. The Dolphins are three and three, second place in the AFC East. They're one game out of first place because the Bills just lost to KC and they're now four and two. So you have the Dolphins one win away from the division um, in the mix for the wild card at the very least, which is now even expanded this year. Um, so everything's kind of clicking. There's huge momentum. Some people might say, well, this is the wrong time to switch them out. But as you brought out, I mean, they, they got two weeks to prepare for the Rams. I think this was always the plan. I think come the, the bye week, I think it was always the plan for Tua to take over. But, give, but you know, the, the schedule had to change because the Patriots, the Titans, and, and uh, you know, the, the whole COVID outbreak. So games got moved around. Now the Dolphins have an earlier bye week when it wasn't supposed to be for uh, a few more weeks down the road. Yeah. So now, so now you, you have all the momentum on your side. Um, last year, the Dolphins at this time were terrible. They were calling them the worst team in football history. Their point differentiate was just re- like they were getting blown out. It was crazy. This year, the Dolphins rank third in the AFC in point differential and fourth in the entire NFL. So what that tells you is when they lose... It's by little, which means they're in those games. And when they win, it's by a lot. And their opponents aren't in those games. Now, they should have beat Seattle, the game of a million field goals. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, Fitzpatrick drove them down the field. It was like knife through butter. But he could not get them in the end zone. And they kicked, I think it was five field goals that game. In my mind, had Tua been in there they would have won that game. And here's why I say that. This game against the Jets, they never converted one third down the entire game until Tua came in. Tua converted the only third down in that game. And that just tells me that he's got something that fits, you know, and I love Fitz. I love the guy, but he's got something that Fitz doesn't have. And the Dolphins see that, and Flores sees that, and now it's two a time, and the world will see it in two weeks when the Dolphins play the Rams. Yeah. Do you? I'll ask you this, uh, there, Mac, because I mean the the just reading some early uh, comments on social media in regards to this move, and there's there's quite a few people who aren't uh, who aren't supporting it right now. They're they're you know. Saying Tua's being thrown to the wolves, odd, you know, with it on a two-game winning streak, you know, Dolphins in a fighting for a playoff spot, like their best option is staying with the veteran, all that kind of stuff. So I'll just ask you this there, Mac. Is it do you feel like the Dolphins would jeopardize their uh playoff 
contention for the opportunity to kind of accelerate to his development and get him into a game earlier than maybe they early in, uh, earlier than they had anticipated? No, I don't. And and I think it, it goes back to my point that, you know, I, I think Tua is the better quarterback. You know, the only reason why he hasn't won out the job was, number one, there was no preseason. And number two, because practices are so limited right now, he, he hasn't been able to take all, like, the first team snaps. So I think... I think with the offense stalling so much under Fitz, I mean, Fitz has played really, really well. Okay, he's played really, really well. But there's a lot of times where that offense stalls. And there was one point in that Jets game uh, where Fitzpatrick took a, a pretty bad hit. And pretty much the player or a couple plays later, he threw an interception. And then the next drive that he came out, he almost threw another interception. He just didn't look right. He didn't look the same. And then in comes Tua. The offense gets a spark. They get that first third down conversion. Like, I know it was it was garbage time. You know, he just wanted to get the kid out there. But you saw an immediate difference. That offense, it was different. And I think Tua just gives you an opportunity to go out there and win some games. Now, here's the other thing. Tua could go in and stink. He could, you know, not be the guy they hope they are. Well, guess what? They own Houston's first and second round picks next year. And that's looking like probably a top seven pick. So if if you start Tua right now, you get an idea of who he is. And if you're not happy with the way he performs, guess what? You got a really high pick, possibly two, if, if the Dolphins don't you know, get it going the rest of the season. But I mean, in all honesty, I think Tua gives them the best chance to win the division. Um, I, I, I honestly think, I mean, Buffalo, Buffalo looks terrible now. You know, they started off really well, but uh, it looks like they're not ready for prime time. That defense is, is getting exposed. And uh, I don't think Allen is, you know, I know he's going to be on your uh, player surprises, but, I mean, he, he has not been playing well lately. He's very erratic with his throwing. So, I mean, no, I'm, I'm all aboard the Tua train. Uh, you know, I was all aboard him sitting the season and learning, kind of like Mahomes did. But I trust in Flores. I think he's making the right decision. I think this is the best move. And I think if you're going to challenge for the division, I think Tua is the way to go. So maybe that could lead us into the segue of uh, your biggest player surprises this year. Absolutely. Well, we could probably talk about Tua for another 30 minutes or so and still have plenty to talk about. <laughs> and I'm sure we will as we uh, you know, continue on with this podcast going on to future episodes because it sounds like there's going to be plenty of uh, topics to go around on him. But yeah, absolutely. So figuring as, as this as much as considered our inaugural podcast, uh, wanted to highlight something, a feature that I'd like to do on a, on a more regular basis, uh, a top five list of some sort relating to our, our topic at hand. And since we're talking NFL, I wanted to put together uh, my top five player surprises so far uh, through the first six games of the NFL season. And I mean, realistically, none of these are going to come as, as major surprises. Uh, they're all, they're all geared towards offensive players because let's, we're, we're, we're going to easy enough stats to track and, and to look at and how the impact is made to the teams. Um, 
So starting off the list, uh, I had basically at number one was, uh, as you mentioned there, Mac, was uh, Josh Allen, uh, quarterback for the Buffalo Bills. So, I mean, I definitely say Josh Allen is one of the major contributing factors to why the Buffalo Bills are sitting atop of the division currently right now, even though they have lost the last two games and Allen kind of has tapered off a little bit. I think it's a it's a bit of a blip, uh, not just mostly reality, but I mean, you know, he's passed for 14 t- touchdowns so far this season, which is tied for second in the league. And he's got the eighth most passing yards at just under 1,600 yards passing. So for me, he's my number one uh, biggest player surprises so far. Number two, I've got a Daryl Henderson, um, someone who was not relegated as a starting running back coming into the season. And after some some injuries to Cam Akers, uh, he has definitely taken the reins and hasn't let go now, especially since Cam Akers is I, 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 as, as healthy as I, I think he was at the start of the season. But you watch Daryl Henderson out there running, and he runs like a beast. He, he, he runs like he's got no fear whatsoever. I mean, hopefully that won't be a detriment to him later on. But uh, 348 yards uh, on the ground so far in, um, I think it's about, I, I mean, he's played he's played uh, the majority of snaps in, in the four of the last five games. And he's got three touchdowns to his record as well. And I think he's going to be given um, basically opposing defenses of the LA Rams some a little more to think about with the, the toughness that he runs at. So he's my number two. Number three, another another running back, uh, Miami Dolphins uh, lead back, I'd say now, Miles Gaskin, uh, really came into the season as a 1A, 1B, I believe, with Matt Breida, if you'd, uh, if you'd probably agree with me on that. Um, both guys carry different characteristics, but it seems like Miles Gaskin is, has definitely carried uh, the brunt of the load so far and has been playing in the majority of the snaps over Matt Breida, and it's just based on this, his success. Like again, he's got 340 yards on the ground, um, not not lighting it up particularly, but again, be, becoming one of those weapons that's going to be able to, to to spark some some good gains. Plus, he's also pretty pretty effective out of the backfield as well. I think uh, his his pass catching ability is 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 definitely top ten in the NFL. I, I'd, I'd probably argue at this point, and he's definitely given a lot of guys to think about right now as far as in terms of fantasy and and him kind of moving himself up the ranks as opposed to being someone who was kind of more of a of a reach to to a flex and now uh, definitely in the consideration for you know one of your top running back spots yeah i think i think uh, miles gaskin surprised everybody um i I mean i I follow the dolphins pretty closely and that one came out of nowhere for me it was supposed to be jordan howard and matt Breida's show miami went and got those guys in the offseason it was supposed to be their show um, but credit to Flores, he plays the guys who earn the spots. And you're absolutely right. Miles Gaskin, he's the number one back in Miami. Just had his biggest game of the year um, off of, uh, you know, Miami trying to get Le'Veon Bell to join them. And Miles Gaskin proved that, you know what, you can be a seventh round pick, but steal that starting job. And I think everybody in Miami is going Bell who, you know, <laughs> they got a guy in Gaskin. I think that Gaskin and Brita as a change of pace, they're down back. Um, that's a that's a deadly combo. Good choice for number three. Absolutely. And then uh, number four, I've got uh, Justin Jefferson, wide receiver for the Minnesota Vikings. Um, 
I think there's a lot of people who could probably argue or, or agree with me on this, that, you know, at the start of the season, you probably didn't even know who Justin Jefferson was um, outside of, unless you're a deep follower of the Vikings, um, you know, outside of their big weapons in weapons in, in Dalvin Cook and Adam Thielen. Um, I'm sure there were a lot of uh, fantasy people, especially who didn't even know who who, uh, who Justin Jefferson was, and he's had a, a monstrous, uh, some monstrous games, some uh, very huge stats. He's actually third in the league right now in uh, in receiving yardage at 537 yards, and fifth in yards per catch at 19.2 as well. So not only does this guy catch, but he can catch the deep ball rather effectively. It's just a matter of okay, let's make sure that's this is going to be more of a consistency than than just kind of the the off game here and there. So we've got obviously a small sample size to see, but so far he's he's definitely carried them, and uh, again, you know, brought in some 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 good stats and some good scores so far. So he's definitely on my list at number four, I th- and then I number think, five. I think he's always going to be compared to Stefan Diggs because that's who uh, Minnesota shipped yeah. off and brought in Jefferson to basically replace him. And just a, a quick stat here. So uh, Diggs, because of yesterday's game, he's at 555 yards. Uh, Jefferson at 537, like you brought out. But big difference is yards after the catch. Jefferson's got 184 yards after the catch. Diggs, 94. Both of them, three touchdowns each. But that's a big glaring difference. So I think they hit a home run with Jefferson big time. Absolutely. And then uh, fellow wide receiver as well, rounding out the list, Chase Claypool, fellow Canadian, actually, um, rounding out my top five here. Another solid contributor, probably the Steelers' best pass catcher currently right now, sitting with four, with four touchdowns, uh, 335 yards receiving, but also a massive 19.7 yards per catch, uh, which is third in the NFL. And again, um, this guy was not on the radar too much, uh, at the start of the season, this guy has made a name for himself as one of uh, Ben Roethlisberger's um, favorite targets out there, and I think his 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 numbers are going to stay pretty pretty solid. Uh, he's definitely he's definitely somebody who's uh, who's filled in nicely. I mean, as we mentioned, just the last game, uh, the last game itself, just when Pittsburgh took on Cleveland, he was a he was a solid target again with with Ben only finishing with 160 some passing yards for the full game and Chase Claypool having 75 of those yards I think you definitely agree that um, he's definitely trying to find him a lot more so uh, one of those key contributors that's going to be making a, I think an even larger impact as we move on to the season so so there you have it uh, my top five uh, my top five uh, uh, players who have surprised in the NFL season so far Excellent. That was a fantastic segment, Sid. Looking forward to the future installment of that one. So before we sign off for the day, um, yesterday we had another two games on Monday night. We had uh, Kansas City beat Buffalo 26-17, and then Arizona beat Dallas uh, 38-10. What's your opinion on the uh, the two-game Monday format? We've had it a couple of times this year. We have, yeah. And uh, not by design, obviously, but uh, it has worked out. I think, I mean, it, it worked to say the least. I mean, Monday has always been kind of that day. I mean, you're, you're starting the work week off again. It might be a little bit of the Monday blues going on. Uh, so to have something on Monday nights to look forward to, I mean, especially a back-to-back like that is 
is great. Um, starting the games off early, I mean, that's what you kind of have to do in order to get two games in before it gets too late as well. Um, I do, however, um, you know, look at the at the adverse effect that it had, considering there was only two games, um, two games, two two games uh, in the afternoon on Sunday after your your noon kickoff, and uh, so that's where I kind of feel like it kind of uh, took the essentially the momentum away from what the Sundays Sunday afternoons are usually about. So, but again, if you're if you're not huge into NFL Network and and cycling between two games and you like to just kind of sit down and relax and watch a single game at a time, then this this kind of format works out perfectly as well. I, I'd say there's there's definitely some good pros to it. Um, but they, like I said, you got to I mean balancing out the schedule and again, it's I mean this year is unlike any other season and you, you know you kind of just have to go with the flow and 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 change things as you can you can't have it all perfect but i like the idea of, of having the two games on a monday night just uh just to continue that football so that you're basically uh you know you're, you're still in football mode until well into the work week yeah i have to completely agree um if, if it was up to me I, I would get rid of thursday night football and I would I would go wow. with the two games on Monday. I, I just to me Thursday night football always seemed weird to me. You know Monday night football has always been a thing. And I think if you take away that Thursday night football and make two games on Mondays moving forward, I mean the the people seem to love it. The media loves it. Um, uh, the ratings are are solid for it. And I think it's just nice you can sit back enjoy enjoy two games. Um, I I personally love it. I'm all for it. If they I, I would say get rid of Thursday night football and move forward with two Monday night games. I think it would be great. Um, so that about does it for this episode of the Fanatic Podcast with Mac and Sid. Please check out fanaticpodcast.com to find all of our episodes. Thank you very much for listening. And remember, it could be worse. You could be a team in the NFC East. Goodbye, everybody.